children can head off to Children's Church. I didn't even realize I'd forgotten to take off my mask last Sunday. Went over half an hour with it on and we finished church. I was warm. This Sunday I'll remember, otherwise I got way too warm. John chapter 3. We're in the Gospel of John, and this Thanksgiving Sunday, we're going to reflect on maybe the most memorized, the most known verse in all of Scripture. The third chapter of John, verse 16. But to fully appreciate this verse and the context of it, let's remember the characters involved in the story that it's found in. This morning, we're going to read Nicodemus, his encounter with Jesus, and the amazing hope that we have as we're invited into the light, into this relationship with the king. And if you brought your Bibles, open it up to John, chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to read the whole story of Nicodemus and stop along the way as we go. It's a weird Thanksgiving. Chantel and the boys were hoping to go to Manitoba to go see her family. Her siblings are all in town, some of them from very far away. And the night before she was to leave, she got the email that uh, Cooper's a close contact again. It's amazing how with an email like that, everything changes. The plans you've had for two months change in a moment. And as she's sitting at home thinking about her family who's all together and how she's missing every moment of it, we celebrate Thanksgiving. You know, as, we, as we sit in a room built for 400 people, and there's 40 of us, we celebrate Thanksgiving. As we pray for our friends who are in the hospital and don't know if they'll make it, we celebrate Thanksgiving. And I'm so thankful that God's goodness isn't contingent on our circumstances, aren't you? If God's goodness ebbed and flowed, with every moment of our lives and how good it was, this would be a pretty depressing sight. But God is good when our friends are struggling and God is good when we can't see our family. We have everything to be thankful for. And I think this was the perfect passage for me to have to read over and over and over again this week, even just to prepare my own heart for what I need to be thankful for. This is the story of Nicodemus, but it's also the story of you and me. Let's read John chapter 3. It starts at verse 1 and it says this, Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God. No one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Three things are introduced just in the first two verses. Pay attention and don't miss them. They're setting the stage for the whole story. Who is Nicodemus? How has he approached Jesus? And what is the reason why he's approached Jesus? We know that Nicodemus is a Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin. A Pharisee is a party of people who've devoted their lives to following the law in the hope that that righteousness would bring about the coming of the Messiah. 
So Nicodemus, from a young age, has memorized the Torah and has devoted himself to the 613 laws. This is his life. This is everything he knows. And Nicodemus has risen up the ranks. He's on the Jewish ruling council. He's a Sanhedrin member. We know that this is the court that sentences Jesus to death. This is the most elevated position for a rabbi. So Nicodemus is a well-respected man of much authority. Like he's a teacher of other teachers. He's having students from all across the country come to study under his teaching. He's risking everything. His reputation, his position, to come speak to this outlaw. So he approaches Jesus when? In the night. Pay attention to the way that he comes to Jesus. He chooses strategically to not expose himself, but to travel to Jesus in the darkness. It's all hidden. It's hidden. And Jesus is going to use this as the grand conclusion to his story with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, look how people use the dark to hide themselves from being exposed. Some people, before they even get into the story, will criticize Nicodemus and talk about how ashamed he was to visit Jesus, that he snuck there in the dark. But as one pastor put it, and I was listening to him speak about this story, he said, yes, Nicodemus came in the dark, but Nicodemus still came to Jesus. He came to him. But why? Why risk everything to meet this outlaw preacher? He says, because we know that you're a teacher who's come from God. These signs that you were doing, you couldn't do them if God wasn't with you. He acknowledges, Jesus, you are a teacher. Some of us. So what, some of the Sanhedrin members? The court that will later sentence him to death. Some of us have seen what you're doing. And we know it's got to be from Adonai. It's got to be from Yahweh. It has to be. There's no explanation for it. So I'm here, Jesus. I'm here. Keep reading. Now that we have that context, let's get into their discussion. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Verse 4, how can someone be born again when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Remember who Nicodemus is and what he's devoted his life to. Otherwise, you'll miss these things. As someone who's devoted their life to the following of the law to bring about the coming of the Messiah, everything that he does is about being able to see God's kingdom. Everything that he does is about being able to enter into it. Every practice that he fulfills is about that goal. He wants to see it. He wants to enter into it. He has taken this fleshly life that he's been given, and he's devoted himself to restoring that flesh. He's going to be the best person that he can be, and he's going to redeem his own brokenness by his own action. And if he can just do that, then he will arrive at his destination. He doesn't need to be reborn. He doesn't need to be transformed. He's taken his fleshly state 
And he's devoted his life to improving it, to making it more holy and righteous. And Jesus says, you can't see God's kingdom unless you're born again, Nicodemus. It's not about taking your fleshly life and improving it with every decision and act that you make, every verse of scripture that you memorize. It's actually about allowing that part of yourself to die and being born again of the Spirit. Because Nicodemus, you are born in this sinful life. You're born in this brokenness as a broken human being. Nothing you will be able to do will be able to take you from flesh to spirit, to life. To enter into this kingdom, it's going to require that flesh to die. For you to be born of spirit. Ever since the days of Adam, we've been sentenced to this death. Adam first sinned, and now that sin has been passed down to you, passed down to me, and passed down again. And no matter how hard we devote ourselves to cleaning and purifying that brokenness, we remain broken. But Nicodemus doesn't believe that. He's devoted his life to the contrary. That if he can improve it enough, he can overcome his own brokenness. But that's not the case. Verse 7. You should not be surprised, Nicodemus, at my saying that you must be born again. Think of the wind. Verse 8. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You can hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from. You can't tell where it's going. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And you don't understand these things? Everything in Nicodemus' life is measurable. Everything. Do you remember the story Jesus tells of the person in the temple who's tithing? Remember, and the person who's praying? He talks about how he's given a tenth of all his spices. He's given a tenth of everything. And look at this widow. She gives a few pennies. I give a tenth of my paprika, a tenth of my cinnamon, a tenth of my taco seasoning. I don't know what else in the pantry. I've given a tenth of everything. You can measure it. My righteousness is measurable. Everything. How many minutes a day do you read your Bible? How many times a week do you do your devotions? It's measurable. We try to read the Bible in a year. We take a piece of paper and we measure it. We try to accomplish it. Jesus says it's like the wind. You can hear it. There's evidence of it. But it comes and it goes and it's out of your control. You don't know exactly where it came from. You don't exactly know its destination. But you can hear it when you're in its presence. That's someone born of the Spirit. They may not be tithing 10% of every spice in their pantry, but when you're in their presence, when you're in the presence of the Spirit, you'll hear it. You'll know. You'll know.
but it's so contrary to a person that's measured every aspect of their lives. How many steps they take on the Sabbath to not break the Sabbath law. How many times they place their foot. It's all measurable. But the Spirit is different than that. He says, Nicodemus, you were Israel's teacher and you don't understand these things. Why? Because verse 11. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, we testify to what we've seen, and still you people don't, expect, you don't accept our testimony, because I have spoken to you of earthly things and you don't believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Nicodemus, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven. That's the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. You were Israel's teacher, and even you don't understand these things, but people teach what they've seen and what they know. I'm not a school teacher. I would be a very bad school teacher because I don't know that many things. But people who are good school teachers teach the subjects that they know. Do you know what happens when you get a substitute teacher and they teach a subject that they don't know? You remember. <laughs> you learn nothing because they don't know it. Or they try to pretend like they've read the notes a minute before class. They don't know it. Nicodemus is a teacher of all of Israel, and he's supposed to teach on heavenly things. He doesn't know it. He's never experienced it. He's never seen it. He can only teach on what he knows. You can only testify about what you know. You bring a witness into the courtroom and put them on a stand to testify about what they know. Like you get baptized and you share your testimony, and it's about what you've seen, what you've heard. Jesus says only one has come from God, come from the Father, and it's the Son of Man. Only he can testify about those things because no one else has seen them. No one else has heard them. Nicodemus, you can't be Israel's rabbi. You haven't seen and heard the things of God, but I have. I can be Israel's rabbi. And then he takes Nicodemus to one of the most well-known stories in the book of Numbers. Imagine these guys sitting around a candle. It's dark. Could be midnight, you don't know. Nicodemus has snuck across town. Carefully, along the corners of buildings to remain in the dark, he's made his way down the streets to find the place where Jesus was staying. He met one of the disciples at the door, maybe they let him in. Nicodemus, one of the most famous people, powerful people in the city, sneaking down the street in the middle of the night. Sitting at this table with Jesus, and Jesus says, you don't even know what to teach. Nicodemus, think of the story from the book of Numbers. Think about Moses and the snake. Do you remember that story? Nicodemus would say, yes, I remember that story. The people spoke against Moses and they spoke against God. So the Lord punished them for their sin. The Lord sent venomous snakes into their camp. As a result, a consequence for their attitude and their actions. 
And these venomous snakes would go and they would bite people. And after they would bite someone, they would surely die. There was no salvation for them. This punishment led to their death. So all the people repented of their sin and they cried out to Moses and to God and said, take away the snakes. Take away the snakes. Just imagine Jesus and Nicodemus having this conversation. The people sinned, and the punishment for their sin was death. And there was no salvation. And the people prayed that death would be taken away, and the Lord responds, I won't take the snakes away. I'm not going to take death away. I'm going to allow death to remain. But what I will do, God says, is this. I'll have Moses cast a snake, cast it in bronze, and it'll be lifted up. And this snake, when lifted up, if people would turn to it and believe in it, if they would have the faith to look up, then after they are bitten by the snakes, they will receive salvation and they will be given back their lives, even when they're as good as dead. So Moses is faithful and prepares the snake and raises it up on the pole. And this bronze metal snake becomes the salvation of the people. As they're bitten by these snakes and panicking because they're as good as dead, they look up to it. And this free gift of salvation is just waiting for them if they'll simply turn and look and believe. Imagine Jesus saying, Nicodemus. Do you remember that story? The Son of Man will be lifted up for the people. The Son of Man will be the one raised up for the people to turn to and look. And people who are trapped in their sin, as good as dead, they're going to pray and pray that God will just take death away, but God won't do that. But God will provide them a way out. And it'll be through me. Next comes John 3, 16. Nicodemus, this is why the Son of Man will be lifted up for the salvation of the people. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Now, I don't know how John plays out the chronological sequence of these events, but as I'm reading my Bible, Nicodemus comes after the clearing of the temple. No one else writes the story of Nicodemus. It's only found in this gospel. But you imagine the scenario that John places just before this story. Jesus has went into the temple courts. He's taken the tables of the money changers. He's taken the marketplace that's been set up. On Passover, their holiest week. And Jesus has flipped it upside down. Flipped all of it upside down. Completely disrupted the worship service. And then he says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, I didn't come to condemn you. I didn't come to sentence all of you to death. I didn't come to punish all of you. 
I didn't come to bring about your destruction. That's not the point, Nicodemus. I'm not here to destine all of you to death. You're sentenced to death already. I've come so that you can have life. Just imagine, Nicodemus, the brokenness of this temple, this worship system, your own life. You memorize the Torah, you follow the laws. And yet you are still sinful in his sight. That's brokenness, Nicodemus, and I have come to turn that upside down. I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to set the world free. Because this is a trap, Nicodemus, and you're stuck in it, and so is everybody. You can run from the snakes as much as you want, but they'll get you. So you can avoid them and avoid them and avoid them, but they'll get you. What you need is the snake that's lifted up. Because you can't run from ever, forever from your sin. It's going to get you. You need salvation. And that's me, Nicodemus. I didn't come to destroy you. I came to set you free. And you just imagine the wheels turning in Nicodemus' head as he's thinking this through. As they're almost done their conversation... I love to imagine these stories. As they're almost done their conversation, I wonder if they're sitting, you know, by the window. I wonder if they can see outside. They know how dark it is out there. Jesus says to Nicodemus, this is the verdict. This is it. The verdict is light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light. Because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. And as Nicodemus begins to look down at the table, to look down at the ground, knowing that he came to Jesus in the dark. Jesus says there's many people, Nicodemus, who are afraid of being exposed. There's many people walking around in the dark so that no one will see what's really going on. We do that, Nicodemus, don't we? We use the dark as our cover. It shields people from seeing what's really going on inside of us. And the verdict is this, light has landed on earth And people are not okay with that because light is exposing everything. Jesus steps into the temple courts and what does his light do? His light exposes how broken their worship was. That's what light does when it enters darkness. It ruins all of it. Nicodemus, light has entered this world and it's going to upset everyone who wants to hide. Everyone. It's going to expose everything. The final verse says, Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. People who live by the truth are not afraid to step into the light. They have nothing to fear. It's only people that are trying to remain hidden and try to hide their brokenness who have a reason to avoid the light. 
it'd be easy to write off Nicodemus. It'd be easy to criticize him for coming in the darkness. But we have to remember that Nicodemus shows up how many more times in the Gospel of John? Shows up twice. Once in chapter 7, once in chapter 19. In chapter 7, the Pharisees are criticizing Jesus and they ask the guards to go into the temple and go arrest him and go drag him in. And the guards go and they see the crowd and they listen to the teaching and they come back to the Pharisees and they say, we can't do it. We can't arrest this man. Look at the way he speaks. Look at the way the crowd listens to him. And the Pharisees go, are you kidding me? Go get this man. And Nicodemus cuts in. And Nicodemus says, that's not fair. Shouldn't we at least hear Jesus out? That's not fair. Isn't everyone due the chance to speak on their behalf, to defend themselves and their teaching? And the Pharisees look at Nicodemus and go, are you a follower of him? Nicodemus sticks his neck out for Jesus. That's not in the dark. That's in front of his colleagues and his friends. He does that for Jesus. Takes his first step into the light. But he doesn't press it. He doesn't push it. And then Nicodemus disappears from the story until chapter 19. Jesus has died on the cross. And a man named Joseph, he was from Arimathea, he goes to Pilate and he asks Pilate, can I have the body of the Lord? I would like to bury him. Pilate, surprised that Jesus would already die. Crucifixion can take days. Jesus is dead in hours. Says, okay, yeah, you can have his body. So Joseph goes and gets the body of the king and finds a grave, a tomb that's new, that hasn't been used before, and places the body inside. And Matthew doesn't record this. Mark doesn't record this. Luke doesn't record this. But you read in John, and what does he say? Who shows up? 75 pounds of spice says Nicodemus showed up, bringing 75 pounds of spice to go properly bury the king. That's not in the dark. How's he going to hide that? Fully exposed. Nicodemus shows up. So like we can give him a hard time in chapter 3. And yeah, we could criticize him a little bit in chapter 7. But look at the end. He's watched Jesus go from this teacher who upsets the crowds with his teaching to this man who captivates the thousands at the temple to the king who dies on the cross and the world goes black for hours and the ground shakes and the curtain of the temple rips in half and tombs are opened up. And Nicodemus goes to the tomb to go bury the king. Nicodemus isn't hiding anymore. As I'm reading that, I'm thinking about myself. I'm thinking about what are the things in my life that I'm not bringing into the light? And that leads us into the questions for us. Like, what are the things in our lives that we're pleasantly hiding in the darkness. We would just prefer if Jesus didn't bring his light 
and invade that space. That's for us. We can't do that. We can't, but we try to. We give Jesus 90% of ourselves, but that last 10% is ours. We want the king of kings, but Satan has this little bit of us that we just love keeping in the darkness. We'd gladly spend time with Jesus when no one sees in the dark in John chapter 3. But would we go to the tomb? Would we carry the spices? Would we show up? The second question is something that I've thought about a lot in the past few months. Is the church a safe place to expose our brokenness? This should be the place so filled with light that any one of you could bring your greatest hurt, your greatest burden, and share it within this family. And we would care for each other and love each other. But that often doesn't happen. We try to just take care of ourselves and walk this road alone. What are people in church going to think if I tell them how I'm hurting? What are people in church going to say if I tell them about my shame and my brokenness? My hurt isn't a big enough deal to need to be on the prayer chain. We'll find other people to take care of us. I don't need to ask for help. And Satan grabs people and keeps them trapped in this lie, this prideful lie that this isn't a safe place to ask for help. Like we're just, we're afraid of being fully exposed. So you go to our prayer meeting and we're praying about these things. And I just, I so clearly remember what Lisa was saying and she was just sharing that church needs to be a place where we can just bear all of this out in the open, where everyone here will have our back, pray for us and take care of us and not judge us. This shouldn't be a place where people have to hide in darkness. We can show everything and bring it into the light and we'll care for each other. And if we're not willing to do that, then this isn't much of a family at all. But that requires us being vulnerable. That requires us trusting each other. And when she said that, you just feel how the room changed when we were all sitting there praying together. These are the kind of people that I could tell anything, any hurt, any brokenness, any shame in my life, I could tell them anything. And there would only be love in that place and they'd pray for me and my family. That's how I wish this whole place felt. But it won't. Until I'm comfortable enough to do that and you're comfortable enough to do that. And when we are, then that darkness won't be able to rule our hearts anymore because you know that you can be fully exposed in this place. The last question how can we carry God's light into our world? I'm just thinking about the different places that you and I interact every day. How this world is so filled with darkness, but you've been placed in a circle of friends and community that I'm not in. And you have been, and you have been, and they're different places than I am. And all of us carry this light, right? We use these different analogies, these night lights plugged into the wall so that you can see where you're walking in the dark. 
the emergency room where broken people can gather to find healing. And as you leave this place, you're going to spend time in our community. And there's thousands upon thousands of people living life in the dark. Thousands of them. And now that their hobbies have been taken away, now that some of their jobs have been taken away, now that their health has been taken away, they can't even gather with their family because their kid was on a school bus with another sick kid. It's all gone. All the things that used to fulfill them, they're all being stripped away. They're all being peeled off until you're left with just yourself and all those other things that give you your purpose and fulfillment. They're not there anymore. And people are asking, they're questioning, what's the point of all this? I live for my holiday and it's gone. I live for my family and it's gone. I live for my prosperity and it's gone. And we carry the light of life with us wherever we go. And that's where we can say to them, let me tell you about the king who's changed my life. Let me tell you about how when I exposed my brokenness to him and asked for healing, he completely covered my sin. His love to me is unconditional. God loved me so much that even in my brokenness, he gave up his greatest treasure to set me free. Not to condemn me to death, to set me free. Let me tell you about Jesus. And people are going to go, isn't that John 3.16 you're talking about? Yeah, it's a long story. I'll get there. I'll get there. We have so much to be thankful for this Thanksgiving. So much. And if you choose to pay all your attention to the brokenness around us, you'll go home discouraged. But if you choose to give your heart and your attention over to what Jesus has done for us, there could be three of us in this room. You give me the gift of Jesus, I have everything I need this Thanksgiving. You take all the other things in my life away, I have enough. I hope you do too. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, this is my prayer for me and for my family. That Lord Jesus, you would forgive me for my brokenness and for my sin. That Lord, that I would be filled with joy and that I would be filled with life and with light. Lord, forgive me for the times when I hid my brokenness from my church family, when I hid my sin from them because I was afraid. Please forgive me. Father, forgive me for the times that I run away from you and run away from prayer and run away from your word because I'm embarrassed and I'm ashamed. I'd rather give that time to myself than give it to you. Forgive me, Lord, for the times when I've placed my wants and my needs ahead of other people and I've hurt other people. Father, thank you that your love for me and for my children and for my wife is unconditional. That you saw me and my family in our brokenness 
and still you gave us Jesus. That never again will love ever be tied to my actions, but your love is beyond and outside of my actions. That no matter how far I slip into brokenness, your love won't disappear from me. Lord, I pray for my own heart and for the heart of my church family that we would no longer be afraid to bring our brokenness into the light. That we would create a family that's so open and honest with each other that there would be no place for Satan to place fear in our hearts anymore. That we could ask for help and admit our brokenness to any person in this room. And we receive support and love and prayer, not judgment, that that would have no place here anymore. Those days of being cruel to each other, they're done. Lord Jesus, would that change take place right now, even in my own heart? I need my family, and my family needs each other. We need to trust each other. Father, make us a light to this world. Whether we live at Waldeck or Weimark, north of town or south of town, right in the middle of town, God, wherever you send us, our works and our jobs, our families, our friends, would we just be this blazing light that people can't miss, this pillar of fire, and people look at and go, that is what I want. It's hope and it's peace and it's joy and it's fulfillment, and I have none of it. What do you have? Lord, would there be room in our church family for broken people? Would we make room for them here in this place and in our lives? Would we welcome in the hurting? Would we not shun them? But would we welcome them in and make a place for them? Would they find you and find healing? Lord Jesus, Would you revive people's hearts? Would you change our city? Would people come to know you this year? Would you reignite the mission of our church? Lord, restore our our motivation to go out there and tell them what you've done. Lord, would there be baptisms in this place? Would there be repentance in this place? Would we see ourselves as missionaries wherever you've placed us? So that John 3.16 would be more than a verse written on a poster on a, on a board at a sports event. Would it be the motivation of our lives? Oh God, that's my prayer. Father, take care of my family this Thanksgiving. Take care of the ones in the hospital. Take care of the ones in the care home. Take care of the ones who can't see their loved ones. Take care of the hurting and the broken. Lord, take care of those who are struggling with mental illness. Take care of those who are struggling with feeling loved and accepted for who they are. Lord Jesus, take care of us. Unite us in your powerful love. Set us off on mission. Set us us on fire, Jesus, to make a difference in this world. Help this to be real. 
that something worth being thankful for. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for coming this morning, and I pray that you'd feel blessed and thankful as you go home from this place. Have a great week.